Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. I am back here for the first time in 2023. Happy New Year to you all. It's not been a picture-perfect start to the new year for Purdue sports. Football took on LSU in the Citrus Bowl. And if you listen to the preview podcast for that game, you know that I didn't expect much from Purdue. Although I didn't quite expect a 63-7 loss, tying the worst record in program history and the second biggest margin of defeat in bowl history. We'll talk about that one today, plus going to look a little bit at what's to come as they transition into a new era with a new quarterback. And finally, basketball's got a tough week here right now. I'm recording this Tuesday night, uh, so depending on when you listen to this, maybe more has unfolded, maybe not, I don't know, but it started with a loss. Uh, they are no longer perfect following a 65-64 to loss at home to Rutgers. Lots to get to here on the show today. Let's get into it with that Citrus Bowl, though. You know that I love talking about football here on the show, and... Maybe you can call that football uh, that Purdue played on Monday afternoon. A game that, look, Purdue just got beat down in the worst way possible. It's a game that Purdue never really stood a chance in. And I think after watching it, it was abundantly clear that even had Purdue not had opt-outs, you could argue that Purdue's five best or five most important players all opted out of the bowl game, all didn't play. Even if you had them, you've got to have some black and gold glasses on to think that Purdue was going to be competitive in that game because those guys are good players, but they're not worth 56 points. Uh, a 63-7 to loss. Without those players, though, without Aiden O'Connell, without Charlie Jones, Payne Durham, Corey Trice, and Jalen Graham... This was an impossible task. Of course, it's worth noting that LSU had opt-outs of their own, uh, had a couple wide receivers opt-out, had some opt-outs on the defensive line as well as their top corner. But, you know, you look at this game. You look at how this game unfolded. LSU outgains Purdue 594 to 263. Uh, So LSU more than doubles Purdue in yardage. LSU averages 8.5 yards per play, whereas Purdue manages just 3.4. That is just brutal. When you give up 8.5 yards per play, that's almost unheard of. Uh, That is just, that's bad stuff. And then on offense, you know, Purdue got nothing going at all. Uh, You look at some some of the other stats here. I mean... 225 yards on the ground, 369 through the air, 13.7 yards per completion. Um, Purdue gets no sacks of, you know, forces no sacks. Meanwhile, you know, LSU sacks the Purdue quarterback four times, seven tackles for loss. Just a long day for Purdue. Just a really, really long day for Purdue. And what it comes down to, more than anything, There were plenty of factors that didn't point Purdue's way 
on the field, off the field, but when you just look at these two teams, the 24-7 sports team talent composite compiles the overall recruiting rankings of the players on your roster and tells you who has the most talented roster based off of high school recruiting rankings. Now, this doesn't factor in for obvious growth in situations like Aiden O'Connell, Devin Mockaby. Um, anytime, you know, a three-star turns out to be a five-star when he gets into college. It doesn't factor in that, and it also doesn't factor in when a five-star or a high four-star doesn't quite play like it. But in general, it is a decent indicator of how talented your roster is. LSU ranks eighth in the country. Purdue ranks 53rd. You saw that clear as day on the field yesterday afternoon. You saw it clear as day when LSU had their opt-outs and were able to plug them in with guys who are legit solid players. Uh, Purdue doesn't have that luxury of guys who have more of a seamless transition. It felt a lot like the 2018 Music City Bowl, if we're being honest here. And I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad I wasn't in Orlando uh, the way I was in Nashville for that 2018 Music City Bowl because it sucks the life out of the place. Uh, And it sounded that way on TV. Uh, You know, in that game, Auburn had the 14th ranked talent composite roster. Purdue had the 71st. The parallels are kind of there a little bit. That stuff absolutely matters. It was on full display on Monday. I felt really bad for Austin Burton at times. Uh, He was asked to perform in a situation that he probably wasn't capable. Now, it was clear Purdue didn't have a quarterback capable of competing in that game without Aiden O'Connell. But Austin Burton kept trying. He kept competing. It's not like he quit, but he wasn't close. Uh, 3.1 yards per attempt. Boy, that's low. That's really, really low. Uh, you don't see that much. That's that's a scary number a little bit. That reflects his stat line where, uh, what was he here? 12-24 for 74 yards and a pick. I mean, that's just not very good. I kept wondering. I kept on wondering when they were going to put Michael Alamo in the game because you heard Brian Brom say pre-bowl that he wanted to get Alamo in there for some reps. And, you know, you watch this one early on. And once it was 14-0 and Purdue had punted three times after drives that went nowhere, the writing was on the wall. Uh, This was a woodshed alert. Uh, This was going to be a blowout. I get it. You know, you let Austin Burton play. You didn't put him back in. Um, So I get that. I think I would have liked to see Alamo at least in a spot where the game was maybe a little more competitive. Although you could argue the game was never competitive. Uh, Alamo didn't light it up. He was just 4 for 11, 37 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. So, look, it... Purdue struggled mightily. Uh, Purdue Purdue really, really struggled. 
I know fans wanted to see Devin Mockaby get to that 1,000-yard mark on the season. Uh, he only got 13 carries. I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, 48 yards for him. So he did not did not reach that 1,000-yard mark. Purdue still goes back to Corey Sheets in 2008 since its last 1,000-yard rusher. I Look, I'm surprised he didn't get the chance to really push at that. But at the same time, Purdue had a ton of players get hurt. On their first offensive snap, Andrew Sawinski got hurt. On their first defensive snap, Reese Taylor got hurt. Branson Dean came off the field. Um, Dylan Downing, you know, looking at that num- that running back room, he got lit up on a play and never returned. Obviously, Deion Burks got hurt. That was a scary situation. All of that. And I can understand not sending Maccabee out there an absolute ton. Because if he gets hurt now... 1,000 yards doesn't mean much. If he's not able to go for Fresno State in September, he gets out of there healthy. That's a positive. With all those injuries, too, I thought it was interesting. It did seem like that turf was a little bit little bit off. I thought a lot of players were slipping. Um, that was something I noticed a little bit. Not that it excuses anything, but just something I noticed. I thought... There was this narrative going around, and I guess it has been ever since Brian Brom was named the interim and Purdue's lost some players to the transfer portal. Purdue lost a couple of recruits. This whole idea that Brian Brom didn't want Purdue to be there or he didn't care or he was just there to recruit these guys to Louisville, I don't know that I buy that. I don't know that I buy that at all. I don't think Brian Brom being the interim coach had anything to do with this game turning out the way that it did. I'll agree that it was an odd decision to make him the interim coach. I'm not going to push back on that. If you think Mark Hagan should have been the interim coach, great. If you have someone else in mind, I'm all ears, but you you only have so many options. And Brian Brom coaching this game was not why Purdue struggled so much. Purdue struggled this much because it was absolutely outmatched. It was outclassed. Uh, Brian Kelly certainly didn't take it easy on Purdue. Not that I think that's the end of the world. I don't, you know, at some point, like they score on a 75-yard jet sweep. A jet sweep's not quite a trick play. They just take it 75 yards to the house. Uh, He did throw the ball a bit. He did call a trick play there to score a touchdown. But, you know, at the end of the day, Purdue wasn't stopping them no matter what they did. It was a rough one. I can certainly understand frustration from fans. Look, if, if I spent money to go down to Orlando and watch that happen, I'd probably be pretty pissed as well. Um, This is something that I think, A, Purdue has to overcome a little bit because two of your last three bowl games have just been absurdly non-competitive beatdowns. And you're looking at a situation now where you you did have your five best players opt out. 
I can see why bowl travel would decrease. And I think you saw that a little bit across the country. A lot of bowl games, a lot of empty seats. That's something I'm going to be interested to see in moving forward. Uh, You know, when Purdue gets to their next bowl game, what does some of that look like? I don't know. But nonetheless, this put the cap on the Brom family era of football, I guess if you want to call it. Uh, The Jeff Brom era is officially over at Purdue. These last six years have been really good. Uh, Purdue has become relevant again. Purdue has greatly improved their program from the inside, from the outside. Any way you look at it, the Purdue program is in an infinitely better spot than it was six years ago. Now, that's Tuesday, it's January 3rd, I'm recording this a little after 8 p.m., so we're about 20 hours into the first real official day where this is Ryan Walter's program top to bottom. Those assistants, you know, who stayed for the bowl game are off. He's got to finish out hiring his staff. He's got to continue adding into the transfer portal. A lot to do. With that staff that he has to fill out, you know, he's off to a good start. You can only announce so many hires when there are still guys in place from the old staff. So... I wouldn't be surprised if we see a run of things here. Tom Deanhart reported today uh, the strength coach hire, uh, Kiro Small from Michigan. So, you know, another name in. Not that I'm anywhere remotely qualified to judge strength coach hires, but Michigan's good. He must be doing something right. Uh, But so far, you look at it. It's an incredibly young staff. Graham Harrell, Kevin Kane, the coordinators, a couple of position coaches, Corey Patterson's the one that I comes to mind right now. They've got a couple other ones. One was an analyst, one was a GA over at Illinois. I think they're probably done bringing guys over from the Illinois staff. I don't think Ryan Walters really wants to go to scorched earth and take all of Brett Bielema's guys, though. You know, he's got relationships with them too. There are a lot of key hires to make still. Um, I, You know, I've heard folks reference the chief of staff type hire. You know, who's going to be that guy overseeing it all? I think that's an important hire. Um, Assuming he makes it, if he decides not to, a curious decision, but so be it. Uh, That's something that's going to be interesting you look at filling out roles on the field. You know, what do you do with certain positions? The air raid isn't exactly a tight end system. Do you have a tight end coach? Uh, I don't know. So some of these things are going to be interesting. Um, he's got that to do. If there's one thing that was abundantly clear in that bowl game, it's that Purdue's got to do some work in the transfer portal. This was... A bit of a look to next year, not completely. Uh, The bowl game was not completely a look at next season because there were players on the field who aren't going to be there. You look at that defensive line with Jack Sullivan, Lawrence Johnson, Branson Dean, they're all gone. Uh, You look at the back end, a couple of those corners, Kyron Douglas at linebacker, uh, a couple offensive linemen. There's some turnover there. 
The quarterback position, we'll talk about momentarily. That's going to be different. Um, But there are plenty of areas where Purdue really needs some help. I think you look at the wide receiver spot. Not that you don't have bodies, and not that you don't have guys with potential, but if you can bring someone in who has shown a little bit of something, I think you got to do it. The offensive line, another area where Purdue struggles to stay deep. You know, at the start of this season, Jeff Brown was comfortable playing eight offensive linemen, he said. But if you look at the uh, five-man starting offensive line that Purdue put out there in the bowl game, only four of them were guys that in the preseason Jeff Brown was really comfortable playing. So you got to continue to add depth on the offensive line if you can get it. It's really hard to do that. Everybody, and I mean everybody, wants help on the offensive line. Going out and getting a left tackle out of the portal is almost impossible to do. Uh, So it's easier said than done, but if you can get someone, you'll take it. I think you could use some speed at linebacker. Uh, OC Brothers is your best returning linebacker. Jacob Wahlberg is in the mix as well. But, you know, you say goodbye to Kyron Douglas and Samisi Fakasiecki and Jalen Graham. However you want to factor in Graham. I think you need to add something at linebacker. And then corner is just the glaring need, if you ask me. Corey Trice was out. Reese Taylor got hurt right away. He's a guy, I think he has a COVID year. I think him and Jamari Brown both do if they want to use it, if Purdue wants him back. Whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. But after them, you're looking at Javon Grigsby and Brandon Calloway, who got on the field in the bowl game a bit. Not that there's much bad to say about them, but not much experience there. Uh, You feel decent about the safety spots with Cam Allen and Sanusi Kane, but the corner spots, uh, you could really, really use three guys there, two or three guys there just to try to build things up. So that's going to be important to watch out of the portal. And then will Purdue lose more guys? Uh, I don't know, but this is kind of the time to do it. That window closes in two weeks to enter the transfer portal early. Now there is another window after spring ball. See what happens there. Uh, But for the time being, Purdue's got some significant guys in the portal. Only one guy they've taken out of the portal. One moment on that. There's still the February signing date uh, for Ryan Walters to monitor here. Purdue still got two commits who have not signed, Kendrick Gilbert and George Burhan. Are those guys going to sign or not? I don't know. I have no reason to think they won't, but you know, holding out till February raises eyebrows. We'll see what goes on there. Can they add any more guys from the high school ranks to the 2023 class? It's a really small group right now. I think just 12 guys are signed. You have plenty of room to take more if there are guys out there that you want. I think spring ball is going to be really interesting. I am very much looking forward to the spring game. I think the 15-day transfer portal window after spring practices end is going to be awfully telling. Um, good, bad, indifferent, I don't necessarily know, 
But I think you're going to learn a lot about this program in the spring. Uh, I'm looking forward to the spring game just to see, you know, a little bit of proof of concept. Not that you get too much in a controlled inner squad scrimmage, but uh, looking forward to anything we can get about this group. I think it's weird to say this, you know, Ryan Walters brought up is a reason that he liked this job is that it wouldn't be a rebuild. And I don't think it's necessarily a rebuild. But for a program that's won eight games in back-to-back seasons, my goodness, there are a lot of questions here. Uh, I don't know that the cupboard is quite as full as maybe you would hope. I think you there are a lot of holes to fill on this roster. I think it comes from you know a couple years of lower-rated recruiting classes. I think you've missed out. You know, maybe some development hasn't taken place where you'd like, but um, this is not going to be a walk-in and win situation for Ryan Walters. He's got his work cut out for him, and now that it's, you know, officially the bowl game is over, the time is now. I did want to talk about the quarterback news. Uh, If you listen to the LSU preview podcast, you'll note that I didn't get to this. I'd pre-recorded that, had some holiday travels, and uh, had recorded it prior to all of the news about the quarterback position at Purdue. You probably woke up the morning after Christmas on the 26th to the news that Brady Allen was entering the transfer portal. Uh, Four-star quarterback in the 2022 class out of Southern Indiana. Had people fired up. People were not happy at this news. Uh, Purdue Twitter was hot. And then quickly, and I'll say four or five hours later, that tune changed when Hudson Card, quarterback from the University of Texas, announced that he would be transferring to Purdue, as had been speculated a little bit. Card didn't necessarily play a ton at Texas. He had some moments didn't play a ton, uh, 65% completion, 11 to 2 touchdown interception ratio, three years of eligibility remaining for Hudson Card. He projects as Purdue's quarterback of the future and the quarterback that is going to lead Graham Harrell's air raid offense into 2023. Welcome to college football in 2022 is my main takeaway here. And I guess it's 2023 now. Look, losing Brady Allen had people fired up. I'll say this. We don't know that much about him. Yes, he was a highly rated recruit. Yes, he has the physical frame. Uh, He's tall. He's long. He's lanky. He's got what you want out of a quarterback. Uh... He was always going to redshirt this year. That was always going to be the plan. It worked out well. Aiden O'Connell was the starter. Uh, With the exception of one game, he stayed healthy. You didn't need Brady Allen, so that's good. You don't have to rush him into action. Was he going to be ready to start against Fresno State here in nine months? I have no earthly idea. That could be yes, that could be no. I have no clue how ready Brady Allen was to play. 
So, you know, whether he pans out or not, I don't know. Now, again, I would be remiss if I started this podcast by talking about recruiting rankings and then said losing a player like him doesn't matter. It's a bummer, without a doubt. His dad, Brady Allen's dad, did an interesting interview uh, with GoldenBlack.com's Tom Deanhart. If you haven't read that, I suggest you do. I thought it was interesting to read that. A little bit of insight, obviously very inside information as to why he decided to transfer. The, the natural reaction from people, uh, and especially in my replies on Twitter, is that this was a foregone conclusion that he's following Jeff Brom to Louisville. And we're a week removed from that now. He's been in the portal for eight days. He hasn't gone to Louisville. I haven't really heard much connecting him to Louisville. Maybe he does. I don't know. Uh, They've got an odd quarterback situation there because they just took Jack Plummer. So... I don't know what to make of any of that down there. I'm really not paying that close of attention. But he's not committed anywhere as of yet. And, you know, if he goes to Louisville, then sure. You know, I guess you can start to raise some questions about it. But until then, I don't know that I would necessarily necessarily look too much into that concept. Where he ends up going I don't know, Uh, but it's possible he comes back to Purdue. Uh, We don't know. I don't think this is a reflection on Purdue. This is simply what happens during coaching transition in the modern era where players can enter the portal. They can see maybe they can get more NIL money somewhere. I don't think that's what this is, but players can do it. Players can look for guarantees, you know, they can do whatever they want. And that's just a reflection of where the game is now. On the flip side of this, you know, Purdue getting Hudson Card, it's a great reminder of how much this sport can change year over year. You look just in, you know, the college football world right now. Tulane went 2-10 and two and ten last year, I think, and then they just won the Cotton Bowl over Southern Cal yesterday. Uh, This sport can flip like crazy. The transfer portal does crazy things. You look at this time last year. uh, Hudson Card looked to probably be the starter at Texas. Casey Thompson had transferred to Nebraska after him and Hudson Card had battled in 2021. Then Quinn Ewers comes in from Ohio State and beats out Hudson Card. Look, that's just the nature of the game now. Uh... Hudson Card had battled for the job two years in a row at Texas. Now he's likely going to be the starter at Purdue in 2023. It is possible that Michael Alamo beats him out. I don't know that I would expect that. Uh, I didn't see much in that Citrus Bowl to think that that's going to happen. I would think that maybe it's not an explicit guarantee, but I think it's sure implied that he's going to be the starter Uh, after transferring to Purdue, you're getting a guy who probably fits the air raid system pretty well. He's a good short intermediate passer. I don't know that downfield passing ability is his strength necessarily, but in the air raid, it doesn't have to be. That is a very 
very short, intermediate, passing game, heavy offense. So I like the addition of him there. He's someone who can extend plays with his feet better than Purdue has had recently. So you really like that. Um, That's something, again, that you can really see help the air raid system. You look at what TCU was able to do against Michigan a little bit. That's kind of an air raid system. And Max Duggan was able to make some plays on his feet. That helps. Uh, You want to see that in this offense because it helps your defense. It helps extend drives. Even if it's just by three more plays, all of that's really valuable. And I think at the end of the day with Hudson Card, he is a guy who has three years of eligibility left. I think he raises the floor a little bit. Not remarkably, but a little bit for what Purdue can be both in 2023 and moving into, you know, year two, year three of the Ryan Walters era with Graham Harrell as the offensive coordinator. I think this is a really big pickup for Purdue. And I think next year's Purdue team got significantly better because of it. All right. Now, maybe you've waited the last half hour for me to get to this. I don't know. Basketball is no longer undefeated. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep into this. Just from a podcast perspective, you know, this is going to be up Wednesday morning. Purdue plays Thursday night, then they play again Sunday night. Uh, I'm going to record a podcast after that Penn State game Sunday night. We will have two more games to talk about. Purdue's going to have most of that week off before playing Nebraska. So it's going to be a really good point. In the, in the calendar to do a deep dive into basketball. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about Purdue losing 65-64 to Rutgers on Monday night in Mackey Arena. Uh, Purdue took the lead late. Fletcher Lawyer with a big three. Then Cam Spencer comes down the court and knocks down a shot. Got Ethan Morton in the air. Um, you know, shook him, knocked down the shot. Uh, Purdue got a good look, a really good look on their last possession. It didn't fall from Brandon Newman, and Purdue is no longer unbeaten. You know, I just highlighted the end-of-game sequence there, but at the end of the day, Purdue lost this game in the first half when Zach Eady was on the bench with two fouls. Really the first time all year that Purdue had to go, had to go a little bit of extended time without him, But even more than just extended time, they had to play with uncertainty of when and how they would get him back in. Now, he didn't end up getting in foul trouble much in the second half. He picked up a third quick, but I think he finished with just three. Um, But Purdue really struggled without him. Uh, It wasn't a great game for Trey Kaufman-Wren. Rutgers went on a little bit of a run without Edie on the floor, and you know, really, that's what kind of did it. Uh, Purdue was able to cut that deficit, but if you don't have that deficit to begin with, that Purdue run in the second half wins you the game. So, I don't think this is the end of the world. I know fans aren't happy about it. Uh, Matt Painter was quite forthcoming after the game. Listening to him is phenomenal. Uh, You know, his press conferences are all on YouTube, Purdue Sports posts them, Golden Black posts them, I think the Boiler Upload posts them. 
they're widely available, and they're fascinating to listen to. He's so good about being honest and transparent and open in what he says. And, you know, he was quite frank about Rutgers playing harder, Rutgers being mentally and physically tougher. Very complimentary of that nature of the Rutgers program, and he's right. What Steve Peichel has built there is a really, really strong program. Uh, You know, right now, they're a missed call against Ohio State away from being on top of the Big Ten at 3-0. Probably a tie with someone, but, you know, they'd be on top of the Big Ten right now. Uh, They're a good program. (laughs) They are, you know, I know Purdue fans are, are tired of losing to Rutgers. Purdue's lost five of six against the Scarlet Knights. That's not ideal against anybody. Certainly Rutgers is not a Big Ten powerhouse, but this also isn't the Rutgers program that joined the Big Ten. This isn't Eddie Jordan's program doing whatever the hell Eddie Jordan's program did for a while there. They're a lot better than that. They are a legit top half of the Big Ten team this year. Their length, their physicality, gave Purdue a ton of problems. That's where Purdue isn't as equipped to compete. You know, Purdue has very skilled players. Uh, Purdue has guys who are a little more basketball IQ, a little more basketball savvy, but less just pure dimensions. And that's what Rutgers has. You know, they got a bunch of six, seven guys out on the perimeter. They really, you know, limited Purdue getting into their half-court offense, took away a lot of stuff off handoffs, uh, you know, coming off screens and stuff. They were able to deny some of that. Rutgers did an excellent job on defense. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country. They gave Purdue problems. They tried to take away Zach Eady as much as they could. Uh, Even though he was in some foul trouble and even though they really tried to take him away. Zach Eady still finished with 19 points and 11 boards. Uh, the guy's pretty good. Uh, the guy's really good. But Purdue turns it over 13 times. Purdue shoots 39% from the field. Not ideal. 30% from three. Need to be better. 68% at the free throw line. Need to make another one or two. Combine all of those and... You know, you make it tough to win. Rutgers is, ex, Rutgers is, Rutgers experience really showed. Purdue still is really young. You know, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, they've been remarkable all season. But they got, you know, they they had to experience this a little bit. Uh, Paul Mulcahy was excellent in this game. Cam Spencer was really good. Caleb McConnell wasn't, you know, unreal on offense, but he's the reigning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. He gave him problems. Um, Mawat Mag is a versatile guy to throw out there. Same with Andre Hyatt. I mean, this is a Rutgers team that just kind of plays with that attitude that I think sometimes for freshmen going through the Big Ten ringer for the first time, I think it's tough to deal with. Um, I think you credit Purdue for battling back quite well. You know, being down 13 early in the second half, it felt like Purdue could get, you know, run out a little bit. That Rutgers is going to walk away with this. Purdue didn't do that. They didn't fold. 
They kept fighting. Uh, they almost won a game that, you know, really they didn't have much business winning. I thought it was an awesome game to watch, just being there, being in the arena. It was an awesome atmosphere inside Mackey Arena. Uh, probably the loudest game without the paint crew they've had since the West Virginia game in 2010. The place was rocking, and late in that second half, it really got going. Fletcher Lawyer hits that shot late. I think that's a really positive moment. It didn't win the game. And of course, it would have been more positive had it won the game. But for a freshman who struggled to shoot a little bit lately, that was great. Uh, You know, Ethan Morton's your best defender. And he makes a mistake leaving his feet on Cam Spencer on that game-winning three. Certainly not ideal, Um, you know, from your best defender. It happens, mistakes happen, but you you don't love to see that. Uh, Brandon Newman had a really up-and-down game. Uh, Hit some big-time shots to keep Purdue in it. Uh, Made some mistakes that you don't love. Look, it's a roller coaster sometimes, but um, I liked the play Purdue ran on the last possession, too. Maybe you'd rather see Zach Eady go up with it than kick it back out. Um, that was certainly an option on that play. Rutgers was going to take him away at all costs. And you saw it every time, you know, both times that it went down to Edie, that double came pretty quickly. They got a wide open look for a good three-point shooter. It didn't go in. So be it. I thought it was a good play. I know you only needed two points, but you weren't going to get a good, easy look from two. So I don't hate that play. I don't think this loss is the end of the world by any means. Uh, Purdue fans weren't happy. I get it. But this was bound to happen. Purdue hadn't played phenomenally well since PK-85. They were due to lose eventually. Um, I I, I hate saying this because things do change. But start of the year, if you said on January 3rd, you'd be 13-1. and I don't think anyone would have believed you. So (laughs) you're in a good spot here. Uh, You're look, you've got two really tough games this week at Ohio state on Thursday and they're playing Penn state at a semi away spot. I guess the Palestra and Philadelphia on Sunday. Look, you got to at least split those. You cannot stack losses early on. If you're going to win a big 10 championship, And I know it's probably a little early to start talking about that, but this league is wide open this year. I don't know who's good. I don't know who's not. Um, We're going to talk a lot more depth into basketball on Sunday because we'll be a quarter of the way through the Big Ten schedule at that point. We'll be, what will that be, 16 games into the season. So we'll have reached the halfway point of the of the season. Yeah. 31 game regular season. We'll be halfway home there. Um, that's going to be a loaded episode. If you have any basketball topics you want me to touch on, tweet them to me at boilers beyond. Um, but that's all I've got for today. Thank you guys for spending time with me. I hope your new years are off to a great start. Thank you to those who listen throughout 2022. I'm really excited for what's to come this year. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode, especially 
Uh, what's going to be in your feeds Monday morning? Are we talking about a recovery or are we talking about a really bad week? Time will tell. Until then, enjoy the games, guys, Thursday and Sunday, and take care.